0: This message was, uh, was born out of a uh, podcast that I listened to about four months ago, and um, the podcast, the, uh, the, the preacher used an example of feedback that his church received uh, during the, uh, the, the COVID times and uh, it, it prompted me to think about freedoms the freedoms that we have as as believers and the way that we use them and express them when i heard his discussion the expression drive it like you stole it immediately came to me it's just one of those weird things of being Paul and having Paul thoughts. The Urban Dictionary explains the phrase, drive it like you stole it, as meaning to act without regard for the consequences. Now no, no believer, as Christians, we, we should always be aware of the consequences, but we can't be enslaved by them. If uh, a, a simple illustration, how many of you, and I want you to raise your hands because it's a very easy question, nobody should, be, nobody should be threatened by it. How many of you look before you cross the street? I'm gonna name the people who don't put their name, okay? We look before we cross the street. But I gotta tell you, if my son was trapped in a burning truck on the other side, I'd be over there like a rocket, and figure this one's in God's hands. So there's a time as a practice in our lives to regard consequences, but there's also a time to disregard consequences. There is a time to drive our life like we stole it. Of late I've noticed that we, the American church in particular, the image of Christ that our society sees have become too obsessed with personal consequences and comfort, and as a result, we've been neglecting eternal consequences. Our use of our freedoms, the passage that Phil just read for us, uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23 in particular, Paul talks about his freedoms in life. If you go back several chapters, you'll see that uh, he talks about freedoms in the Corinthian church in the biblical sense. And he says that, uh, you know, he has the freedom to marry. He has the freedom to receive justice for wrongs done to him. He has the freedom to eat meat, whether offered to idols or not the freedom to be supported like a pastor or a missionary in in our society. He he has a a freedom from adherence to the Old Testament law, which we sometimes call the law of Moses. That would be the, the law that was given to Moses by God for the people of Israel. He explains that he uses these freedoms as tools to build relationships with people, not for personal comfort, To the Jews I became as a Jew, he voluntarily follows the law even though he himself is not bound by it. To the Gentiles he becomes as a Gentile. He uses his freedom from the restrictions of the Old Testament law to act in a way that will be identifying and comfortable for the Gentiles that he's reaching. At the same time, he works within the confines of the law of God, the moral code that governs us to this day. And he does this in all circumstances with a desire to win some men, some people, excuse me. Paul uses his freedoms, his rights, his tools to show others the reality of a life changed by Christ. One example, he worked to support himself. Now, this gave him contacts in the workplace. Paul was a tent maker. And in in that culture, all the tent makers, if you needed a tent, because, you you, you know, there was no Internet back, this is hard to believe, but there was no Internet back then, okay? And so you, you couldn't Google Havertown tent makers, and, and, and find a tent maker. Okay, so you went to where the tent makers were, and so Paul was a tent maker, and he went over and he made tents with the other tent makers, and guess what? They rubbed shoulders, they talked, they joked, and I am sure Paul built relationships with them and shared the, the freedom that he had in Christ with them. So Paul worked, even though he was free to receive support from the churches that he had founded. In addition, in addition, he, he, he set down that freedom to be supported, and he chose to work so that he could be an example to the believers in the, that, that, that he was reaching of these all people. Uh, we see that in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians towards the end. I'm sorry, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Another declined freedom, he declined the freedom to marry so that he could focus on serving the Lord. Paul led by example. His life demonstrated his willingness to sacrifice his personal rights and freedoms to model Jesus' love. As we discuss our use of freedom, I am not saying it is better not to marry or that all pastors and missionaries should be bivocational. However, I ask myself, do I love the freedoms more than the one who provided them? Do I love the freedoms more than I love the Lord who provided those freedoms? When I view my freedom, my rights as the only con- consequence that matters, my comfort, Bruce Longnecker. A, uh, a scholar of the New Testament and a prophet, uh, excuse me a professor at Baylor University observes that over and over the Corinthian Christians interpreted their freedom in Christ along individualistic lines without regard to the health of the Christian community. The Apostle Paul, Paul warns us in Galatians chapter 5, not to use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, Instead, use it to serve and love one another. Our use of freedoms will be key in our efforts to become a church that welcomes everyone, regardless of background, regardless of culture, regardless of language, regardless of age. We must begin to look at our rights and freedoms in a different light, seeing them more as tools than as comforts Or demands that we can make today we'll look at some specific examples of how I use my freedom how I could use my freedom and the principles that guide me in these decisions perhaps my reflections will be profitable for you as they have been for me I'll share three areas of my life my actions my speech and my stuff I'm going to make some really straightforward statements And if anything I say offends you, please talk to me about it, Uh, you know, and if you have questions about anything that I say, talk to any of the elders, Uh, we we can all set you straight. (laughs) I'm glad you laughed because I really didn't mean that to come out that way. (laughs) My freedom and my actions. There are many things that are okay, but not all of them are profitable. As elders, we recently faced a number of decisions regarding COVID restrictions. One of them was the degree to which we would mandate masks, social distance, distancing, limited occupation of the or limited seating in the auditorium. As was asked for or required by the government. Did we believe this was an overreach of government, that they had no right to tell us we had to wear masks as we worshiped? Did we have the freedom to refuse to stand up for our rights as citizens and Christians and say, God first, you cannot curtail our freedom of worship? We didn't spend very much time on these questions. The question that we looked at was how can we best serve our community at large, and specifically the community of faith that meets at Grace Chapel. We knew that we would face criticism and that in some circles we would be viewed as serving Caesar rather than God. And yes, we were accused of that to our face. But in the issue of exercising our freedom, we we chose to lay them down in the interest of a better representation of the love of Christ. How do we view worship? Are we free to worship in a way that we enjoy, that refreshes us and feels meaningful to us? I like that idea, and I am certain it is one of the blessings Jesus, Jesus has given us. When he spoke with the Samaritan woman, he told her that the culturally defined worship of the Old Testament, based on places and ceremonies, was going to pass away. He promised that the day would come, and now is, when the Father would seek those who worship in spirit and in truth, not in a ceremonially, ceremonially defined place in a specific geographic location. There is nothing wrong with ceremony as a part of worship, but it is not defined or required by God. I am increasingly convinced that we must, that I must, that we must give up our right to comfortable worship as we have traditionally practiced it. If we want to be a church, to become a church that welcomes everyone, regardless of background, culture, language, or age. We recently met with a pastor of a growing multicultural church in New York, Pastor Benue. He told us that in any multicultural church, everyone will at some point feel uncomfortable so that someone else can feel comfortable, can feel at home. What he means is the current members need to accept some discomfort as they seek to welcome others whether those others be a different culture, a different language, or a different generation. Those new members need to accept some discomfort as they may be unintentionally offended or find that not everything is the way that they believed it would be or that they would hope. A really good illustration of this. We have a a number of people who have come to attend our services who were used to Catholic worship. They were used to coming in, the Mass is a rather fixed thing, and having the Mass celebrated, and when they came here and they sat down and they went through the service, they were surprised that it was very different and they were a little discomforted. But you know why they stayed? Those that did stay. They stayed because of our common commitment to Christ and to our local community of faith, which must mean more to us than our personal preferences or comfort. My freedom in my speech. Among men, there are conversations that are a variation of, can you top this? I am sure women are too refined for this practice. So bear with us and give us grace for our foolishness. The men are typically sitting around, someone tells a story, someone else tells another one, typically a better story. Am I free to tell a story of life experience? Yes, I am. Is there anything wrong with that? No, not at all. However, imagine a group of, imagine a group of guys sitting around and one of the guys tells a story about a really rough trip he had where he had a flat tire and everything went wrong. And then I opened my mouth. And I tell them about the time I got a truck stuck in the river. We sucked water into the engine. The only tools we had were a pair of pliers and a screwdriver. Using them, we took the spark plugs out and got the water out of the engine so that we could start it again. Maybe I had a better story. However, how much better will my relationship with the other fellow be if I keep my mouth shut and say, wow, that was quite a trip. How in the world did you get through that? In the interest of full disclosure, I don't do real well at getting that right, but I try. Proverbs ten nineteen: when there are many words, wrongdoing is unavoidable, but the one who restrains his lips is wise. Sometimes the smartest thing we can do, the most God-honoring thing we can do, even though we have the right to speak up, is to keep our yap shut. As believers, we also have to be aware of stereotypes, both as victims of them and as perpetrators of them. I have, a, I have an old truck. Some of you have seen it. It has big tires. It has a diesel engine. It has rust holes I can put my hand through. And uh, I was sitting down here on Route 1 at a traffic light when a car pulled up next to me, convertible, top down, four young ladies in it. Now they're right next to me. I'm about three feet higher than them because the truck is on big tires and everything. And they start talking about me. Now they knew all about me because they saw my truck. Okay? And now seeing my truck, they realized three things. And these were the only three that they mentioned. I'm sure they mentioned more after they pulled out of the traffic light. The first one they mentioned was, I must be a a supporter of then President Trump. There was no negotiation, which I am not, by the way, just full disclosure. The second thing is that I didn't really care about about ecology or I wouldn't drive a smoke belching pickup like that. And the third thing was that I, I obviously wasn't very smart. Now, they learned all of that from a truck. Isn't that amazing? Now, from from that point, with that stereotype, I could have said to them, but I don't support President Trump, number one. I could have said, number two, I spent 17 years with my family planting trees on barren mountains, grafting fruit trees so that the next two or three generations of children will be able to eat fresh oranges and fresh limes and fresh grapefruits. I planted trees working with the community through an entire river valley so that the water would stay cool and not evaporate and actually get to the end of the stream where it could be used for irrigation. For 10 years we heated our house with a pellet stove which is renewable energy, for those of you that don't know what a pallet stove is. I don't know that I could argue with them about the not being that smart part. But <laughs> the, the fact is that because they came with a stereotype, everything that I would have said or could have said to change that stereotype would be viewed as being defensive and questionable. And yet, we do the same thing going the other way. Taking stereotypes into account, I'm free to talk about my family's experiences in Haiti and my career as a missionary. I like the feeling of having told someone I'm a Christian and feeling like I have taken a stand for Christ. Yet I have learned that when I exercise that freedom, although I enjoy it, it is not always the best first step in building a new relationship at work we have a practice when we were all in an office we used to have a practice now it's virtual where everybody sits around the table and the new people on the team sit there and you go around the table and introduce yourself when I do that I say I I worked overseas for some years and then you know I I came to be here at Pico and if I'm pressed I say well yeah I, I worked at a hospital in Haiti I've been criticized for this and told that I must be ashamed of Christ and my identification with him in missionary service. I pass on that freedom because I've learned that people who don't know me sometimes put all missionaries in the religious crackpot cultist hater pot. From there on, I am prejudged and ignored. Most people in my team know that I am a Christian and was a missionary, but they learned it after they knew me, and as a result, they judged me for who I was. not for a label. Colossians 4 verses 5 and 6 is a key principle here in addition to Paul's expression of being all things to all men. Are you happy with the state of our society? Do you like the way things are, the values we as a nation seem to promote? Do you like the way things are run, the decisions our political leaders make, the direction our nation is taking, Do we have the right to speak up, to express our opinion, to promote our values and have our voices heard? Yes, I believe we do. In areas of injustice and oppression, we have an obligation as the Lord's ambassadors to speak out. Micah 6, verses 6 through 8 summarizes that for us. But much of what I hear coming from Christians in our broader society is not focused on justice and deliverance from oppression. While we have the right to speak out, It seems much of what we say is focused on expressing our beliefs, our opinions, our anger, and our frustration. This has led the church as an institution, and Christians as individuals, to being cast as evil actors, haters, without value in society's eyes. 1 Peter 2 addresses this situation. In verses 11 through 17, Peter outlines the Christian response to a hostile world that accuses them of evil. In verse 11, he says, "Remember, you're just passing through here. You're pilgrims and sojourners." I'm relatively sure that the vast majority of people that are are sitting here and the few that are, or the 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 masses that are watching today. don't really understand what it is to be a pilgrim and a sojourner. The closest I can come to this by way of illustration is people who have walked from somewhere in Central America the length of that entire isthmus to get to the U.S.'s southern border in hopes of having a better life. Now, as as they have made that trip, they were pilgrims and sojourners. They didn't settle down. They did what they need to do to accomplish the goal of getting to a better life. Peter says that if we want to survive in a hostile world that accuses us of evil, we have to remember that that is the way that we approach our life. In verse 12, he says, conduct yourselves honorably. Let your good works be obvious. I don't spend much time on social. I actually, I spend like zero time on social media. My wife updates me on, you know, friends' Facebook posts and, you know, kids that we know and stuff like that. And my my son updates me on the rantings and stuff like that. But it seems like Conducting yourselves honorably is not necessarily a keynote of Christians in social media. I'm sure there are many that are, that, that, that do conduct themselves honorably, that, that honor the cause of Christ, but I'm equally sure that there are many who do not. And yet, that is a key piece, according to Peter, to surviving in a hostile culture. Verses 13 and 14, he said, respect the law and the government. Need I say more? Our good works will, in verse 15, our good works will silence the accusations of evil people. Verse 16, use your freedom as a tool to serve God. Verse 17, honor all men, love the brethren, fear God and honor political leaders. For the cause of Christ, to have others listen to us and consider what we say, I have purpose to the extent it's up to me to avoid being stereotyped. Once others have stereotyped us, they are not likely to listen to what we say unless they already agree with us. Conversely, when we stereotype others, we miss the opportunity to truly know them and perhaps be a part of their lives. While I am free to discuss politics and, in fact, sometimes enjoy it, I rarely do so. I avoid identification with any political party or politician. I'm very quiet on issues unless it involves oppression or lack of justice to others. I make every effort to avoid a label so people will be willing to know me and see my hopefully good works, experience and accept the honor I give them and perhaps come to know Jesus. My freedom and my stuff. Jesus expresses a key principle in the parable of the talents, recorded in Matthew 25 verses 14-30. to He warns us that we are accountable for what we do with the blessings that he has entrusted to us. He wants us to use them to further his goals and desires, but he gives us the freedom to make those decisions. I see a very interesting affirmation of this principle in in Acts. At the very beginning of what we now call the church, Jerusalem was flooded with visitors who planned a short stay and then a return home. Many of these people came to trust in Jesus and ended up extending their stay in Jerusalem. Their resources exhausted, they had physical needs, and the just-born church rose to meet them some members of the church sold land and houses to help meet the needs of others i am sure their generosity was appreciated and they were honored as a result into this scenario comes a couple ananias and sapphira they sold a piece of land and brought part of the sale price to the apostles claiming that it was the entire sale price they i suspect were in it for the glory They were judged for their lie despite their generosity. Peter makes an interesting statement as he rebukes them. Did it not belong to you before it was sold and after it was sold? Was it not at your disposal? In other words, you had the freedom to give all of it and you had the freedom to give part of it. That's not the issue here. The issue is the fact that you lied, not to us, but to the Holy Spirit. In other words, this was your stuff and you're free to make the decisions relevant relative to its use. How often do we look at our financial decisions outside of how much we should give the church in light of our responsibility to invest in God's glory? Considering the good works mentioned in 1 Peter 2 verses 11 through 17, do we look for ways to use our time, our talents, our relationships and money to perform those good works that will result in God's glory and will prove it, serve as a rebuke to those who accuse us of evil? The previous illustration, the, the parable of the talents and the illustration that I used, uh, deals with money, which is only one of the blessings Jesus speaks of in the parable of the servants. That principle covers a broad broad range of blessings, time, health, relationships, and opportunities, to mention only a few. In each of these areas, we need to ask the same questions. How can these blessings be best used in our Lord's service? Am I balancing well my responsibility to him and his desire as a father to provide for me? To summarize, we have received freedoms, rights, and blessings from our Father in heaven. He expects us to use them to glorify him and bless the world around us, showing this this world, this lost world, his love and care through our good deeds. He trusts us to choose well in this manner. We have to be watchful that our desire for comfort and having it my way doesn't lull us into neglecting the Lord's priorities and desires. Drive it like you stole it. In other words, drive it like it isn't yours and you don't have to worry about the consequences. I can't help but think of 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19 and 20 when I use that expression. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. Therefore, we should glorify God with our bodies. In terms of consequences, we have repeated promises throughout the New Testament that our responsibility is to decide, and consequences and provision are in the Lord's hands. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our Father and our God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the freedoms that you have given us thank you for the wisdom and the love that you give us as well that push us to use those those freedoms to use those blessings as a as tools to show who you are to a lost world and to reach those who don't know you and perhaps wouldn't be willing to give you a hearing Lord, help us to reflect on these, these truths, on these principles, on these illustrations. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to see if there are areas of our lives where we need to make adjustments. In Jesus' name, amen.